Hey, good evening, City Light U. It's actually really fun to be back with you guys, even though I've only been gone for, what, like five or six weeks or something like that. But it's actually really, really fun. Just like John said, uh, this past weekend, we spent so much time in prayer, praying for uh, the college ministries here in Omaha to actually unite underneath the gospel, underneath the banner of the gospel, and actually advance the kingdom of God on our college campuses. And I'm just so thankful to the City Light Youth staff for having me back and championing that call to, to unify us and share stages and share students and share vision and all that sort of stuff. So thank you. Um, I'm very, very grateful and honored to be here. Uh, also, if you were not at the CMAC Fall Retreat, shame on you, because uh, it was legitimately awesome. Uh, but if you were, you did get to know a little bit about me uh, through our CMAC uh, like staff mean tweets. You guys are ruthless, by the way. Those were awesome. Uh, but if you were there, uh, then you'd know. But if you weren't, shame on you. But because God first loved us, I will share with you a little detail about myself. Uh, the first thing that you need to know about me is that I love Jesus. Uh, I gave my life to Christ five and a half years ago, and I'm not looking back. The second thing you need to know is that I have been married for, oh, yes, that's a big deal, um, since, well, since January 7th, 2017, so not even that long. Uh, number three, uh, thing, the third thing you need to know about me is that I love Jesus and that I love my wife and love being married. Uh, and then the fourth thing is that I love talking about theology and facial hair. Uh, and it is actually honoring to know that you all thought that John Randall's beard was almost as good as mine. I mean, that's a little bit of my ego right there. And finally, I love Parks and Rec. Yeah. Do any of you like Parks and Rec? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I consider Ron Swanson a personal hero of mine. Um, but in all, all seriousness, uh, I was just watching this episode uh, with my brother the other night, and it's the episode where Ron and Diane are expecting a child, and then Chris and Anne are expecting a child. And Chris is out just soaking up all of the parenting stuff. He's buying cribs. He's buying baby books. He's re- I think he, in, the, in the episode he says that he read Prince's baby book. And it was, it was just bizarre. But anyways, uh, and then here's Ron Swanson who built his own crib. And is like, well, I'm just going to raise my child how I'm going to raise my child. I'm not going to ask somebody else to do it. And uh, finally, Chris has to take all of his stuff back because... The latest and greatest stuff was, had come out, and it turns out the stuff that he bought was actually toxic and poisonous to children or something like that. And then Chris approaches Ron and goes, Ron, would you help me build a crib? I literally do not trust anybody but my own hands. And so they start building this crib together, and uh, it kind of goes over to that cut scene where it's just Chris and the camera, and he goes, I know that Ron's not trying to teach me. But I'm going to try and learn principles from him and what he is doing. And then, like, there was one where um, Ron Swanson was like, well, if you, if you cut the groove out right, then you should just be able to guide it right in there, and you don't even need nails. And then Chris is like, yes. If you just raise your children right, then you can just guide them into life naturally. And then finally, Ron's like, dude, drop it. Like, I'm not trying to teach you about parenting. I'm trying to teach you about cutting wood and, and creating a crib from raw materials. And uh, in a similar fashion to Chris Traeger, I think a lot of times we read the book of Acts and try and draw these big, humongous principles out of something that isn't actually there. 
So tonight, I want us to not be like Chris Traker, uh, trying to extrapolate uh, lessons from Ron Swanson, but us with the Bible. And particularly in our passage tonight, I think we can easily get to Chris Traeger's status and trying to extrapolate unnecessary principles from this passage. In fact, there's a, there's a large section of Christianity that stakes a lot of their movement and a lot of their uh, doctrine from our passage tonight and from the book of Acts. So as we get into it today, I, I want to try to prevent our hearts from running to spiritual principles like Chris Traeger runs to parenting principles with Ron Swanson. Also, uh, John was very gracious to me and gave me 41 passages, or 41 uh, uh, verses to preach through tonight, so we have a big chunk of scripture to try and get through, uh, and I broke it down into three sections, which yield us three points. So the first point is indwelling, just the word indwelling. The second section is fulfilling, and then the third section is responding. So indwelling, fulfilling, and responding. I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, tonight would you be glorified? Uh, Would you make our hearts believe that Jesus is better? Would you remind us of the the beautiful truth that you have sent your spirit to indwell those who believe because of your son, Jesus Christ? And our response is to to repent and and live in the fullness of life that you have for us. Uh, So would would your word be proclaimed tonight and would nothing I have to say from my flesh uh, sneak its way into the hearts of these people here tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, open up your Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app and you're at a Christian like meeting, you should probably download it. I'll give you the password to City Light at some other time. The internet's not working right now. But uh, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And we are going to cover verses 1 through 41. And once I hear that the pages have stopped turning, then I will start reading. All right. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And, di- and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. All right, there's a bunch of words in there that are really, really hard to say. Uh, And on top of that, there's a lot of countries represented there, some of which don't even exist today. But that's not the point of this passage. 
And in this passage, I want us to look at Acts chapter 2 in the context that it's actually in. And the first aspect, the first bit of context that I want to look at this in is this is actually a continuation of the gospel of Luke. Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he is continuing his writing uh, from the gospel of Luke into the book of Acts. And they were meant to be read together. And if we read the tail end of Luke, we see the death of Jesus. He then comes back to life and appears to a bunch of people. Jesus then ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And if you haven't picked up yet, uh, here in the City Light family, Providence is in the City Light family. It's like if you have a daughter and she gets married and changes her name, that's kind of what Providence is. But literally everything we do is centered around Jesus. And that's because the entirety of the Bible is Jesus-centered. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels talk about Jesus. And the New Testament looks back to Jesus. And Luke is no different. In Luke 1, verses 3 through 4, we find out Luke's purpose for writing his Gospel and the book of Acts. He is writing so that we may have an orderly account to know what has happened concerning Jesus. And that is what's happening right here in the book of Acts. We are learning what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. So 40 days after he rose back from the grave, that's the day of of ascension, and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Then 10 days after that, we see what happens as a result. And it was... And and I, I think we can read this and go, oh yeah, Jesus ascended into heaven. That's pretty cool. But catch this. The God of the universe, Jesus, has left planet Earth. Jesus ascended into heaven. And up to this point in the history of the world, there were two times that God dwelled and interacted with his people. The first was in the Garden of Eden. Then we fast forward about some thousand years or whatever it is. Then we get to Jesus. The first time... We got kicked out of the Garden of Eden for sinning. And the second time, we killed God himself. But after thousands and thousands of years from the Garden of Eden, Jesus finally comes. The promised king, the promised Messiah. And all of the waiting is over. The king is finally here. He is ushering in his new kingdom. But then Jesus dies. And everyone is super bummed. But wait, he comes back to life three days later. And then he conquered the grave. Yay, everybody's really excited again. Forty days later, Jesus literally just goes to heaven, ascends into heaven, left physically. The promised king and Messiah is gone. And then we get to this scene in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit descends. Jesus ascends, and the Holy Spirit descends like tongues of fire, it says, It indwells the disciples. And we see all of the disciples starting to proclaim the gospel to all the people in Jerusalem that were there to celebrate Pentecost or the second harvest festival in all sorts of different languages. Whoa! That's pretty incredible. Do you see what's going on here? Now don't be like Chris Traeger here and and see whatever you want to be seeing happening like oh well when the holy spirit indwelled the disciples they started to speak in tongues therefore we can know that we have the holy spirit when we speak in tongues no 
that's actually not the point of this passage. That's not why Luke is writing this passage. It's not a prescription. It is a description of the presence of God filling the hearts of his people. Now remember, in all of human history, the fullness of God's presence was felt in two periods. The Garden of Eden and Jesus. But still, God was still separate from everyone because he was in his unique self. Now don't miss this. The fullness of God was in the hearts of the believers for the very first time in all of history. And see that you that is good news. The fullness of God was in the hearts of the believers. No longer did people have to go to a mountain or to a temple to be in the presence of God. No longer do people have to look to a singular person for the will of God. No longer is God separated from his people. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit marks a new way in which God is going to interact with his people. And this is great news for you and me. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you have been indwelled by the full presence of God. And I think far too often we miss that or we forget about it. And we don't understand the the beauty of that indwelling. So how many of you ever said, I just wish I was closer to God? Or how about, "Ah, today I just just don't feel that close to God. Or, Or maybe you're, I wish I could be as close as I once was to God. Or maybe, for those of you who are at fall retreat, Monday hit, you woke up and somehow you felt like the Spirit left you. And you go, I wish I could be close to God like I was at Fall Retreat. I wish I could worship God like I did at Fall Retreat or at a mission trip or wherever it might be. I'm here to proclaim good news to you, City Light You. The fullness of God dwells within you because God has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell the hearts and lives of his people. See that you, you don't have to return to a specific place, a specific mountain, a specific mission trip, or a, to, or a specific retreat to experience God, because God is inside of you. The fullness of God dwells inside of you. So don't be like Chris Traeger and try and pull a meaning from this text that it isn't trying to give. The point of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is not about the evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's not about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like your sermon series, it's not about the monument. It's about the movement. The point of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is about God moving into the hearts of his people. So my first point is that God is now indwelling his people. And look further uh, in, in Acts. And in the interest of time, I'm not going to read P, all of Peter's sermon because uh, it's like 30 verses or something like that. But I want you all to go home tonight or tomorrow or sometime during this week. And I want you to actually read Peter's sermon for yourself. And when you do, maybe you can take these points to kind of help inform uh, Peter's sermon. So my first point was in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Point two is fulfillment. Christ is the fulfillment 
what was prophesied and what we needed. The apostles, so to paint the picture a little bit, the apostles were just filled with the Holy Spirit. They were supernaturally speaking in understandable tongues, not just gibberish, and up stands Peter. Peter addresses the crowd and gives the very first sermon that is recorded post-Jesus. And in the tail end of Luke, Luke says that Jesus opened the minds of the apostles to understand all of the scriptures. And that's actually evidenced here in Peter's sermon. Peter gives this beautiful discourse on what everyone was actually seeing during the time of Pentecost. Some thought the disciples were drunk on new wine, but Peter goes on to tell everyone that what they were seeing was actually the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. He pulls from the prophet Joel and the psalm of David, and it's interesting that Peter pulls from these two sources. He appeals to the promise God made about the final chapter in the story of his people. The prophet Joel says that the Spirit of God will be poured out on all of God's people, and all of God's people will prophesy. They will dream dreams and do all of these things. And then in the end of that passage in Joel, it says, and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter talks about Joel. And then he goes right into talking about the eternal throne of David that was promised to David. And again, I I don't want us to be like Chris Traeger in this passage and jump to a bunch of conclusions that aren't meant to be jumped to. The point of this passage is not to prescribe some methodology of preaching or how a church should function. Rather, it shows the point of the Holy Spirit indwelling the hearts of the saints. The point of it is to testify to the Son of God. The point of Peter's sermon coming after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim that Jesus came to fulfill the needs of our hearts. The point of Peter's sermon is to say that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of God's promise in Christ. So a a, a song that we sing here within the City Light Church family is the song Fullness. And uh, we're actually going to sing it right after the sermon. And the song uses some very peculiar language that isn't necessarily typical for the average worship song. Um, and, and we are going to sing this song. And, and I want to just point out that these lyrics are actually describing this event in Acts chapter 2. The lyrics of the song cry, Spirit come, Spirit come. It's a cry for the presence of God to indwell his people. And I think at the core of our hearts, that is the longing of our heart, is for the presence of God. And maybe you guys have heard about the God-shaped hole that exists in your hearts. And we try to fill that hole with anything, whether it be sex, drugs, rock and roll. But the only thing that actually fulfills, the only thing that fills that hole is God himself. We are looking for an identity, and we are looking to give ourselves to something. And Peter's sermon right here is essentially saying everything that you've longed for, everything that your heart truly desires, everything that has been promised is fulfilled in Christ. Because of what Christ did, 
because Jesus fulfilled the righteous wrath of God, we now can be in the presence of God once again. That's good news. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve walked with God in perfection. They experienced the fullness of God's presence, and it was good. And when Adam and Eve rebelled against God by sinning, yes, they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, but the garden itself wasn't what it was about. It was about being in the presence of God. They were actually cast out from the presence of God. What made the garden perfect was the presence of God. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out, yes, of the garden, but more importantly, they were cast out of the presence of God. And the rest of Scripture tells this story of God pursuing his people because God knows that apart from him, apart from his presence, the only thing that awaits us is death. And God, the author of life, desires his children to experience life. And the only way that we can experience that life is through the death and resurrection of Christ. I mean, look at what Peter says in in Acts 2.36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Our problem is that we were disconnected from the presence of God because of our sin. And the solution to our God-sized problem was God himself. Through Jesus, we can experience the fullness of the presence of God. And so here's what that all means for us. I want to speak to two people, two types of people in the, group, in the room. The first people I want to talk to are the Christians in this room. If you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Christ, then the spirit of the living God dwells within you. Very frankly, do the people around you see it? Peter starts his sermon by explaining the behavior of the apostles. The apostles were indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately their lives looked differently. The people around them saw them change. Some people thought that they were drunk on new wine and other people, they were amazed at what was going on. But the kicker in all of this, the key point in all of this, everything they were doing was testifying and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord in Christ. Is that you? Is what you are doing testifying and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord in Christ? Very frankly, could somebody preach a sermon about your life to explain that what you are doing is actually because you have been filled with the source of life itself? Or would you be more of the person who would be described as being drunk on new wine? And to the person who is the Christian, who is not a Christian in the room, I want to ask you, Do you see the Christians in this room testifying and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord in Christ? Do you see the lives of your Christian friends looking different? If you can't quite put your finger on what is different, let me help you. 
They have been filled with the promised Holy Spirit as a result of Jesus' fulfillment of the scriptures. Jesus fulfilled the punishment that you deserve and in return offers you the fullness of God's presence and new life. Jesus is the fulfillment and the Holy Spirit is evidence of it. So point one was this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is in those who believe. Point two is the Holy Spirit indwells because Christ accomplished the saving work necessary for your souls. And point three tonight is responding. Look with me at at verses 37 through 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and, they were added, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen to that. Peter continues his sermon, and then finally conclu- concludes everything with a call to action. Peter just got done explaining that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was a result of Jesus fulfilling his promises. And finally, we get to the point of action. We get to the point of why Luke put this passage in the book of Acts in chapter 2. Again, I don't want us to be like Chris Traeger and miss the point of what is going on here. Chris Traeger might hear the words, save yourselves. And somehow turn everything back on how we needed to work harder to save our lives. No. Peter just got done saying that all of the saving work necessary for your soul was accomplished by Christ. Chris Traeger might also miss the point and say, well, here, right here, is the proof for infant baptism. No. This passage has nothing to do with whether infants get an awkward bath or adults being baptized. The point of all of this is a call to action for people to repent of their sins and experience the newness of life offered in Christ Jesus and lived out in the Holy Spirit. The point of Peter's sermon is to point people to the saving work of Christ and for people to respond accordingly. So how is this illustrated? I want to tell you a story. And I won't use any names because I actually don't have permission to share this story. Um, So I'll try and keep it vague. uh, But the people who know the story might be able to recognize it. And I'm okay with that. So there was this person at Fall Retreat. And uh, they were not there because they were a Christian. They were there because all of their friends were there. And his friends were all Christians, and this dude could see that they were all different. And he saw that, one, they were either drunk on new wine, or they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And knowing these dudes, I would like to believe that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and not new wine. 
But uh, I don't know, that might be one of the, you staff, you guys might need to check in on them. Um, But anyways, the dude is there, hearing the gospel preached. He is seeing the indwelling of the Spirit. And on Saturday night, we were all worshiping our faces off. And in the front row are these couple of guys weeping. Like tears down their face, wailing on the ground because of the goodness of Christ. They were on the ground pounding their fists on the stage at the truth of Christ bringing them to new life. And in that moment, this dude could have said, those guys are drunk. But instead, he repented and believed in the gospel. And in that moment, he received the newness of life. I met him later that night and heard his story and offered to take him down to the Platte River and get him baptized, but apparently it was a little cold and he wanted to do it with see that family, but that was after I read him Acts chapter 8 where Philip and the eunuch and the eunuch's like, oh, here's a body of water. What prevents me from getting baptized? But that's okay. It's not about the baptism. It's a movement, not a monument. But here's my invitation to you all. And it's the same invitation that Peter gives in the end of this passage. And it's the same invitation that this dude at the fall retreat was given. Would you believe the gospel? Would you believe that Jesus came back from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of God? Would you believe that and turn from your wicked ways? And if you want to turn from your wicked ways and believe the gospel, then know that the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of life, dwells within you. To conclude tonight, I want to say this. Acts 2 is a description of one of the most important moments in all of history. God no longer is in a temple or on a mountain or in the Omar building. God, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now lives in the hearts of his believers. Don't be Chris Traeger and try to extrapolate all of these things that our text is not actually trying to say. The fullness of God dwells in the hearts of believers. It's no longer in a temple or in a singular person, but in all of his people who believe in Jesus. And the presence of God can dwell in the hearts of people because Jesus reigns on high. So now we are to repent and believe the truth and walk in the newness of life in the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son Jesus to accomplish what we could not have accomplished And then sending your Holy Spirit so that we may live in what Christ has accomplished for us. God, would you not be finished with us? Would you continually sanctify us? And would you add thousands, thousands of college students in Omaha to our mix? Whether it be at PC3, at City Light U, at 808, or any of your other college ministries that you have here. God, would you use us to do what you want to do? And we 
humbly come before you asking to be a part of what you are doing. So God, would you give us more of your spirit? Would you give us the fullness of your presence and would we be aware of it and respond accordingly? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.